Hello, and welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm your host, Will Westerkow. And before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick note. This was one of the first episodes that I recorded remotely, and I had a few technical difficulties. I hope you'll all forgive me if uh, the audio quality is a bit subpar on this one. Stick with it, and I think you'll still enjoy the episode. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest host, Sam Coombs. Hi, Sam. Hello, Will. Hello, everybody. Uh, how are you doing? Not so bad, given the circumstances. I, I'm pretty lucky, actually. For those listeners who may not know, Sam, I guess you're probably most well-known for being in Quasi, but before that, you were in a band called The Donner Party. You were in Heat Miser. You've done some solo work. And I know that you have played with Built to Spill and Slater Kinney and the Go-Betweens. Is that pretty much correct there? Yeah. I mean, a lot of those bands I played just on recordings. And um, I'm also in a band with John Spencer right now, an, an active band so uh, called John Spencer and the Hitmakers. Okay, cool. So this episode is about September of 1991. I guess if my timeline is correct, you would have been in Portland already for a few years at that point? That's correct, yeah. Were you listening to modern rock music or were you kind of like more into like a more underground or indie sort of scene or were you hearing all of it? You know, the songs that we're going to listen to today, I, I knew all the artists, mm -hmm. oh, well, three out of four I knew. But I knew their work from the 80s. Okay. So, but this time, yeah, the 90s, I'm not sure what, I, I think I was, actually, you're right, more experimental stuff. I think when I moved to Portland, there were just a, a lot of great record stores and the records were really cheap. And I would just go and buy free jazz records, post-classical composers. And, you know, I was really trying to open up my head to a lot of more experimental stuff. I wasn't listening to pop music at all, but you would, of course, you hear it. You know, in those days, you could see it on TV. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I wasn't really interested in pop radio or charts. How'd you get into music? Were there any like first albums that you heard that really like turned you on and made you want to be a musician? No, nah, I was always in the music since I was a little kid. Yeah. Just listening to the radio for hours on end. I played in the school band. I played trumpet. Even starting in fourth grade, and my parents didn't listen to music, and I didn't have older brothers and sisters listening to music. I just stumbled onto it. Like I don't remember any specific records. Just was always there from when I was little. Just kind of evolved over time. All right. Going into September of 1991, the big song of the time was "Rush" by Big Audio Dynamite 2. That was on top of the charts for pretty much all of the previous month. And moving into September, we've got a new number one from a band called The Psychedelic Furs. You mentioned earlier that you knew most of these bands from the 80s. I'm assuming that's one that you knew from the 80s. Sure. I had, you know, when I was in high school, I had a Psychedelic Furs record called Forever Now, which was pretty good. I, I liked it. You know, I had some big hits on it, some catchy songs, but I think it was pretty much the outer edge of, or the inner edge, depending on what direction you're going on, of sort of the British pop music that I would have ever kind of listened to. Sure. A little mainstream. I like pop music, but mostly I like classic pop music, like, you know, Motown or the Beatles or something. Yeah. And a, like modern rock, 
you know, if it's if it rocks, I you know, I tend to be attracted to it. But if it's just kind of a pop song, then I can get a little picky. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, I would say, you know, feel free to be honest with your opinions as we listen to songs. Oh, that's the only way. <laughs> I don't think Richard Butler's going to come after me. Right? No, I, I doubt it. Yeah, I used to see Richard Butler all the time, and I, I, I was spending a lot of time in New York in the nineties, early nineties, probably. Oh, really? And I would see him all the time in the Lower East Side. Just like walking around. Yeah, yeah, you know, eating at a restaurant or whatever. Sure. You never stopped him, got his autograph. No, you know, it's like that's New York stuff. Sure, sure. So Psychedelic Furs, they were formed in London in 1977, and the only two members who have been in the band since the beginning were brothers Richard and Tim Butler. Like you said, they were pretty successful in the 80s. They had a couple of gold records in the U.S. They had a couple top 40 hits. And by 1988, they had pretty much finished charting anywhere except for the modern rock charts, where they, for some reason, became sort of a dominant force. And they hit number one on the modern rock charts three times from 1988 to 1991. We've already heard them twice on the show on earlier episodes. We're going to hear their third and final number one today. This is from their seventh studio album called World Outside. And this was a number one modern rock hit and it spent two weeks on top. This is Psychedelic Furs, Until She Comes. Well, it's just a bad song. I don't I don't see any way around that. I mean, I don't know what it is, really. Nothing happens the whole song. It's just overproduced, washed out, synthesizer-sounding stuff. I think they're trying to make it sound like a, the Simple Minds or something like that, which is, you know, it's probably the worst song of all time, like the, the Breakfast Club thing. Don't you forget about me? Yeah. I don't really see how that anybody could like that song. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, Psychedelic Furs had some catchy songs, and you know, before they're certainly capable of it. But, well, that song, like the drums, what is he doing? Is it, it sounds like it's a real drummer, but playing even more boringly than a drum machine. Yeah, well, you know, uh, this was their last album before they broke up for a couple decades. It is possible that they were all just bored. Yeah. It sounds like a just production without any ideas behind it. I don't know. I mean, I I don't hate it. It sounds pleasant enough to me. It's kind of dreamy, I guess. And, you know, it's got like a similar-ish vibe to Pretty in Pink or The Ghost in You or Love My Way, whatever. The kind of thing where, like, they could slap it on a, a soundtrack for a John Hughes movie uh, and it would be totally serviceable, I guess. But... Yeah, it, it's not it's not up there amongst their best, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like you know, the record that I had that I was familiar with, it's called Forever Now. There was melodies, and it wasn't like a hard rocking record or anything, but you could tell that human beings were playing instruments. Sure, it wasn't just a wash of production, and he had some interesting, um, you know, lyrics. He was kind of a stream of consciousness type person, and. You know, it's not easy to do that kind of thing and make it work. 
and they're not a just a totally worthless band, but that's a worthless song. I'm glad you brought up the lyric thing, though, is because I don't remember them having songs where the lyrics felt so inane. You know, I don't always want to pick on people's lyrics because there's a lot of great songs with stupid lyrics, but I'm looking at the lyric sheet for this one, and I don't know. It it really seems like it's about nothing. It's just so vague. Yeah, well, there's like a sexual entendre going on that's not very convincing. Yeah, right. I mean, but the Cars did it already better. I know tonight she comes. So probably not going to be big on everyone's uh, playlist in the near future. That's okay. But I will say that Psychedelic Furs, they broke up shortly after this. The Butler Brothers, they formed a band called Love Spit Love with a couple guys who later joined Guns N' Roses. And then the Psychedelic (laughs) Furs reunited in about 2000, I think. And just this year, a couple months ago, actually, they put out their eighth studio album, Made of Rain. So have you heard that? I have not listened to it, but that's uh, what a twenty-nine year break between albums. That's uh, yeah, pretty big. It sounded like they needed it. That song was just <laughs> for the birds. I kind of wish we uh, were listening to a song from their new album, and we could see if uh, that break paid off. There's only one way to go. Only one, <laughs> only one direction from that last song. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we're going to go up at least a little bit. Psychedelic first spent two weeks on top. And then for the second half of September 1991, we got a new number one in the top spot. This is by a band called Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians. And this song is going to be number one for five straight weeks. So it's a pretty big one. And that's interesting to me because... I had not heard the song until I started researching for this podcast. The song's called So You Think You're In Love. Is this something you were familiar with? Again, going back to the 80s, Robin Hitchcock, I was a huge, huge fan. Yeah. You mentioned my first band, The Donner Party. Like When I was in that band in the early 80s trying to figure out how to write songs and sing, you know, Robin Hitchcock was um, an idol practically. For me, because mm-hmm. the Soft Boys, I love the Soft Boys. He had he had a couple records. One of them was called Black Snake Diamond Roll, which is I still love. Mm-hmm. Listen to it all the time. Yeah, another one I often dream of trains. Another oh yeah, uh, you know, fantastic record. And um, yeah, he's a remarkable musician. But I, you know, I then later on in the eighties, I felt like a, you know he formed this band, the Egyptians, and I think I maybe listened to their first or second record, and then I just kind of stopped because uh, they seemed to be a diminishment from what he had done before. So Sure. But so this song, I might have been aware of it, but I've seen I've seen him play a couple times over the years too, and so maybe that's why. Right. Yeah, so Robin Hitchcock, he's an English singer and songwriter. He's sometimes described as a pop surrealist. And like you mentioned, he began his career with a band called The Soft Boys, who... I don't know. That's the band you said you loved. I love the Soft Boys too. I think they're fantastic. Uh, and they were also pretty influential. Uh, I know that REM were big fans. Soft Boys split up in 1981 and Robin released some solo albums, then the Egyptians. And then later he's going to form a band called the Venus Three. But he really is like an unstoppable songwriting machine. And like, even if you had really liked a lot of his work with the Egyptians, it's possible you would have just kind of lost track because he's put out so much music. I think at this point he has more than 20 studio albums 
And I consider myself a fan, but I've probably heard six or seven of them. I don't know. It's just it's just hard to keep up with that stuff. Yeah. He's a working musician. I don't blame him for putting out music, but no, of course, as fans, you know, (laughs) you got to listen to the good stuff. Yep. So um, in 1991, Hitchcock and the Egyptians released an album called Perspex Island. Reviews for this album were mixed. A lot of listeners found it to be glossier and less surreal than they typically wanted from Robin Hitchcock. But it is notable because it does feature R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe and Peter Buck on some tracks. Are they on this song we're going to hear? I don't remember. I'm going to go with no, but I could maybe look it up later and correct myself. So uh, we're going to hear the single, So You Think You're In Love, hit number one on the Modern Rock Charts. Here it is. So you think you're in love. mentioned that rem were fans of the soft boys and i was like oh that's ironic because this song sounds just like rem but then you said they played on the album i yeah. i'm pretty sure it sounds like peter buck playing the guitar and maybe stipe is singing those backgrounds i don't know but it seemed like around that time there was a lot of copycat rem jangly bands yeah for sure that weren't very good which if you're gonna copy rem might as well go all the way and just actually get the people in REM to play on your song. <laughs> sure. So, you know, good job there. It's funny. I, I've actually met Robin Hitchcock a couple of times in the eighties. I lived in San Francisco and he used to hang out at this record shop that I would go into. And then years later I met him again, weirdly at Peter Buck's wedding of all places Wow. here in Portland. Yeah. It's a funny thing with him because part of me, idolizes him it's more of the younger part of me mm-hmm. and part of me is a little bit annoyed by him and um i like that tension i think it's nice but it makes me a little bit ambivalent like and and then recently in fact the very last gig i played before covid was with the john spencer and the Hitmakers. we did this hanukkah thing that yola tango does every year and robin hitchcock also did it but he did it the night before we did it but I'm in the hotel. I'm waiting for to go home. I'm checking out of the hotel, and there's Robin Hitchcock sitting in the lobby. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, I sort of almost know Robin Hitchcock. I've spoken with him and met him. Do I walk up? Do I say hello? But I decided not to. <laughs> <laughs> I just – I just I was sitting there five feet away from him just reading a book, and, and I thought that was fine. Sure. But – um I learned a lot about songwriting from Robin Hitchcock, so I really have a, a love for him as a musician. Yeah. That song is like, it's copying R.E.M., it's this jangly thing. It's a love song, and I like love songs in theory because I, I'm into love. And um, that's that's a pretty okay one. I like that maybe it's a um, person who's experiencing like a same-sex crush Mm -hmm. but they identify as straight so they're a little confused and he's like yeah it's okay you know yeah i think that's nice too right 
it's a nice song. There's nothing wrong with it. It's it's really nice. It's not inspiring like his earlier stuff, but compared to the psychedelic furs, it's like pure genius. Yeah, I think it's a really nice song too. I found myself singing along. You know, it's a nice little melody, nice little refrain that gets stuck in your head pretty easily. I can see where the complaints maybe came from with fans because like a lot of his songs have very strange lyrics about insects laying eggs under your skin or a man with a light bulb for a head or whatever it is. And this one, yeah, it's just kind of a pretty straightforward love song. And there's nothing challenging about the structure of the song. But I don't know. Still, sometimes you just want a nice little nice little song. It's just a sunshine pop song and it's if that's good enough for you, then that song's good enough for you. Yeah, sometimes I think that's good enough for me. I will say this, though. I kind of felt like he didn't know how to end it. it. It sort of seemed like he ran through, and then he's like, what do I do? Let's just throw like a, a did, 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 do, yeah, kind of ending on there. There's like a little modulation there where the there's a variation on the chord change right at the very end, and the harmony changes a little bit, and then he just says, yeah, I think it's, I think it's all worked out. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. You don't want to go on and on in a song like that. Sure. No, I I agree. I'm it. It felt like it was just the right length. The, if this would have been a uh, five minute song, I would have been pretty irritated. But uh, it was good. Oh yeah, I've got one fun fact about Robin Hitchcock. Robin Hitchcock and Jonathan Demi, filmmaker Jonathan Demi, they've got a relationship going back quite a while because Jonathan Demi filmed a concert video of Robin Hitchcock called Storefront Hitchcock, and. Years later, Jonathan Demme cast Robin Hitchcock in his remake of The Manchurian Candidate, and he cast Robin Hitchcock as a double agent. So if anyone wants to see Robin Hitchcock in his his big acting debut or whatever, go track that down. It's pretty funny. Have you seen the remake of The Manchurian Candidate by any chance? I have not. I didn't even know that there was a remake. Yeah, well, don't bother. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do like the original. Yeah, the original is pretty good. That's all our number ones for September. So we're going to move a little further down the list. And I am excited because we get to play two different songs this time that are out of print. And I like bringing up songs that are out of print because that means there's a good chance that people listening to the show have not heard them before because you can't find them on Spotify and you can't find them on iTunes. The first one we're going to hear is by a band called Meat Puppets, and they were formed in 1980 in Phoenix, Arizona. This is also two brothers, Kurt and Chris Kirkwood, and their friend Derek Bostrom. And they started out as like a hardcore punk trio, but they soon began incorporating country and psychedelic sounds into the mix. They were my favorite band in the early 80s. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw them many times, and I stole many... Uh, songs trying to copy them the first exposure i had to them and i would say that's probably true of a lot of people was from the nirvana mtv unplugged session where nirvana covered three meat puppet songs from meat puppets 2 and they brought the kirkwood brothers on stage uh, to help them play those songs so uh, that was my first exposure and then i liked those songs so much I, i went out and bought a couple of their albums and for those of you who really want to dig deep Apparently, the Meat Puppets returned the favor, and in 2011, they recorded a cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit for a Spin Magazine tribute to Nirvana. So if you want to hear Meat Puppets covering Nirvana, uh, that is out there somewhere. In fact, you know what? Maybe I'll play a little clip. Found it hard, hard to find. Oh, well, well, 
Oh my, that was fun. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, their album Forbidden Places. Their lead single was called Sam, and it reached number 13 on the modern rock charts. Here it is, Sam. Yeah, there's there's interesting things about that song, for sure. I one of the things I really hated about that psychedelic first song is it doesn't even sound like people. It just sounds like sound mm-hmm. sort of happening in a studio, and there's a voice on there somehow. But like this Meat Puppets record, it's a trio. You got a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer. That's all there is. You can hear that. There's tiny little overdubs here and there, and then they overdub all these harmonies. But when I'm listening to a band, I like to hear the band, really. That's that's kind of the whole point of it. Yeah. So, great there. You know, the first three Meat Puppet albums, they're all amazing. And if you take them as a whole, it's like a, a band evolving at a very rapid rate. And I, I used to go, I, I saw them many times. That they often would come through opening up for Black Flag or some other SST band. Mm-hmm. And so there was like a lot of like hardcore kids there who hated it when they started playing this these kind of country songs and psychedelic prog songs, and it blew my mind because they were they were experiencing this kind of hostility and and yet pushing themselves in interesting directions at, at the same time. I love the Meat Puppets so much, and my band, my first band that we were talking about a little bit before, actually I reopened up for the Meat Puppets a couple times. But that was around the time of their fourth record, I think, was called Huevos, which that's the first one where they they started doing this kind of ZZ Top sort of boogie rock stuff, yeah. which um, was a change at that time. But like then they kind of just stayed in that sort of boogie rock mode. But, you know, it's pretty good for that. It's like it's not as interesting as their, their earlier stuff. It's more of a pop song and not, not an art project. But right. it's, it's interesting about those like, you know, super rapid harmonies and definitely could be worse. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I was going to say about that was that, um, you know, early on they had been on SST label, but this was their first album that they were on London Records. And apparently they chose that just because it was the home of ZZ Top, which was one of their favorite bands. And um, you can hear that a little bit in the song, I think, but there's definitely other songs on this album where there's clearly some very strong ZZ Top influence. Up on the Sun is like a very complex Mm -hmm. original record. And I guess they just kind of were like, eh, that's about it. Let's go with what, (laughs) let's let's, let's keep it simple now. Let's just play some ZZ Top riffs, have some fun, and hopefully sell some records. Sure. Well, I mean, it worked enough to get them a charting single on this album. And then the follow-up album, they actually had an even bigger hit with Backwater. But in terms of Sam, this song, the thing that stands out to me the most is just the the delivery of the verses. They're like super rapid fire. It almost sounds like he's uh, an auctioneer or something. I don't know. He's, he's throwing those lyrics out so fast. It is amazing. 
It is amazing, especially because the earlier stuff, they're serious drug albums, and they were they're obviously tripping, <laughs> or or high in some other way mm-hmm. or multiple ways during these records. They're, t- they're very deep corners of the brain type records, and not there is a discipline there, and they're not sloppy exactly, but they're not like precision. Like <laughs> I don't know, he's that definitely could not have been high in any way to to get right those harmonies that tight on that quick of a, which is like a, you know, it's a su- kind of surprising because I just associate them with, with drugs sort of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to put them down. Yeah. Anybody who heard that was kind of interested, go back. Mm-hmm. First three records. Yeah. You know, I've never heard the first album. I've got uh me puppets two and up on the sun. Uh, the first one is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you were saying it's, it's a little bit like, hardcore mm-hmm. but not very much like hardcore it's still totally psychedelic and weird huh. but it's it's like a little bit like they were joking around when they were making it but it's still like it's in a weird area between something like serious and kind of scary and also just a joke <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful thing yeah it's good not a bad place to be all right cool well, uh, Me Puppets, they uh, broke up and reformed a few times over the years, but I believe they are currently together, and they put out an album as recently as 2019. That's called Dusty Notes. So if anyone wants to catch up on their more recent output, there it is. You can check it out. Okay, we've got one more band. This one is also out of print. In fact, pretty much this band's entire catalog is out of print. This band is called Mary's Danish, which, you know, when I first heard that name, like the first 20 times I heard it, I just assumed they were talking about like a pastry. And then at some point it occurred to me they could just be talking about the fact that someone's from Denmark, I guess. That probably makes more sense. But I really don't know. I think I read an interview once and they said like, I don't know, it, it seemed like a cool name or something. And I might disagree. Yeah, I gotta say I... I don't I don't know the first thing about this band. I've never heard a note of their music as far as I'm aware. So this will be the first first time. Sure. And I you know, I was totally unfamiliar with this band too before doing this podcast, and I think a lot of listeners will be as well. But this is an LA band. They have two female lead singers, Gretchen Seeger and Julie Ritter. They were formed in the late eighties and their debut album featured their biggest modern rock hit called Don't Crash the Car Tonight, which reached number seven. And their first album, I don't know, it's it's sort of all over the place, but to me, I would kind of describe it as like funk country. Hmm. I don't know. That same year they released their debut album, Seeger and Ritter also sang backup on the first two tracks of Red Hot Chili Peppers' Mother's Milk album, including their cover of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground. So that's a song I think a lot of people have probably heard. And uh, yeah, they went on, they toured with with Red Hot Chili Peppers. They toured with Jane's Addiction. And in 1991, Mary's Danish released their second studio album called Circa. And we're going to hear the single Julie's Blanket, which reached number 14 on the modern rock charts.
for a band I never didn't know anything about, it's could have been a lot worse. Definitely heard a lot worse. I hear the Xene thing a little bit. I like the vocals. She's a good singer. You know, so I haven't heard this album. This is the only the only song from this one I've heard, but I've heard their first album and their third album. And um this is different than both of those. The first one, it's like there are two lead singers singing at the same time. Very much like X does, where like, you know, John Doe and Xene are like just like trading off back and forth over each other. It's kinda like that, but with two women. Mm. And this one, uh I think that's Gretchen Seeger. She pretty much sang the whole song and then the other singer was just doing a little bit of doot doot doots and and some backup stuff here and there. So that was different from what I was expecting. Yeah. I did hear the bass player slap slap a string about two or three times in there, but for the most part then there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of funk going on in there, which is it's all right. It sounded kinda of like hippie a little bit of a hippie mm-hmm. kind of rock thing but yeah i would say too there was a lot less funk than on their first album for sure yeah it's just like a nice you know mtv type mm-hmm. song i guess and they still have mtv in 1991 they did yeah yeah i think they did yeah i mean i like it okay i heard her delivery it was a little strange um i didn't hate the way she delivered some of those lines but it was definitely like she was kind of talking to us like this yeah yeah i like that that was good that was nice, and then and then there's a little tune for the for the chorus, but the lyrics are are more um, singspiel, or, or I think that's what they call it in the German. But it's uh, you know Bob Dylan, there's yeah. like stuff. Uh, it's it's a it's a common thing. I li- I usually like it when people do that. Yeah, I assume the Julie of Julie's blanket is is the uh, other singer Julie Ritter, so we can file this one under songs that mention one of the band members, I guess. It's mm. a, not a ton of songs like that, but I can think of a handful. Yeah, like uh, Ballroom Blitz. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, Glass Onion, maybe, by the Beatles. Yeah. All right, so well, here's one reason why uh, you know this band is not really very well remembered, other than the fact that they're out of print, is that from what I've read the record label that had signed Mary's Danish for their second album, they really botched it on promotion for this album. And rather than push this album and uh, try to get it to sell, they rushed the band back into the studio less than six months later to record a third album. And that one sounds like they've dropped all sense of funkiness and the country's pretty much gone and it's just kind of like heavy guitars in the foreground. So they had two albums within, you know, less than a year. And, uh, by the time the third album came out, the record label was pretty much closed in shop and there was no promotion for that one either. And so the band pretty much called it quits and that was more or less the end of them. They did manage though, in 1992, Mary's Danish managed to get a song on the soundtrack to the Buffy, the vampire slayer movie. I don't know if you caught that one, but uh, they performed a cover of I Fought the Law. And then I thought this was pretty crazy. In 1993, Mary's Danish backed Neil Diamond on a cover of Do I Diddy? <laughs> And uh, wow. 
And that was pretty much the last thing they did. I don't know. There's, there's like, oh, that's like a triple bummer there. <laughs> uh, not, a, not a Neil Diamond or Do What Diddy fan? You're talking about this Manfred Mann song? Yes, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that song's lame. <laughs> All right, well, that was our four bands. I don't know. It was okay. I found some stuff I liked. I liked the Robin Hitchcock. I liked the Meat Puppets one. The other two I was maybe less enthusiastic about, but uh, that's all right. It's cool to discover a new band. Yeah, of course. I, I It was interesting to for me to like revisit you know, some work that I didn't know, a couple bands that I really idolized. Before we do a final wrap-up, is there anything you want to plug? I know that Quasi has a has a song that came out recently we can talk about. Uh, yeah, sure. We just we made that video in Portland. It's been an interesting time. It's an interesting time in the world in general, but we kind of just reacting to, to the way things are now felt this overwhelming need to do something, you know, yeah. even though it's difficult because of COVID. So we recorded, wrote and recorded a song. We made a video, put it out. Uh, we're able to raise a bunch of funds for a local for uh, Don't Shoot Portland, a local, basically like black activist organization. So yeah, check out Don't Shoot Portland. Uh, we have the song, it's called Last uh, Days of the Thin Blue Line Lie. It's on Bandcamp. If you want to download that song onto your listening device, the, all the money goes to this, to Don't Shoot Portland. Fantastic. Does this mean that we might expect more quasi songs in the future? Or does this seem like a like a one-off sort of deal. No, no, we're we're writing and, and working on the new material now. Cool. Was there anything that you wanted to uh, add or talk about before we say goodbye? Uh, no, I mean, good luck, everybody. It's a it's a it's an intense time in the world and in this country in particular. And we're gonna keep it together for another few months, and hopefully, we'll see some daylight. Yeah. Great, Sam. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thanks to all my listeners. If anyone would like to get a hold of me or send me a message, you can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. All right. I'll catch you next time. Thanks.